Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Digital Bridge, Pittsburgh's Industry 4.0 podcast. Standing at the confluence of manufacturing and technology. Featuring Jonathan Kirsting of the Pittsburgh Technology Council and yours truly, Matt Holges of Catalyst Connection. All right. So, Matt, we're back here again in the Huntington Bank podcast studio. Hanging out with the Digital Bridge. I love doing these conversations. I actually, I've got a really good feeling about today's conversation because before I even hit the record button, I think I've laughed three or four times. Right. Well, <laughs> and I like that. In, in, in that was that, that was without me saying anything. It was just it, looking well, over at that. Always I makes appreciate it, that. <laughs> and the less you talk, the more I laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks. thanks. <laughs> this is the way it is. Now, so we've got, got a great guest with us today, Matt. Who did you bring? Yeah. With you? So you know, Mike Holtkamp is with us from Siemens. Now, I first met Mike. Actually, it was leading up to the Digital Bridge Conference last year. Okay, And he was our keynote in the morning, and he gave an incredible presentation on the impact of Industry 4.0, not only for larger companies, but how smaller manufacturers could be or should be embracing some of this new technology. the big guys talking about how you can bring it down for the smaller guys. Exactly right, and I think they have a vested interest in that, especially if they're trying to strengthen their supply chain as they're working with some smaller to medium-sized manufacturers. Definitely makes sense. So I wanted to make sure that at some point during this podcast series, we were able to get Mike in here. So Mike did it. Mike's here. Mike, thanks for coming. Thank you. And you you have a title of digital account executive. What exactly is that? So uh, so kind of what that does is my job is to really spend uh, time with small companies, big companies, medium-sized companies, and sort of help them understand this Industry 4.0 journey. And we sort of think of it as a journey. It's definitely not, a journey. It's so, definitely a journey. Yeah. This isn't like ISO 9000 where people say, I get the rubber stamp and I'm now ISO 9000. This is a journey. It could last a journey uh, of forever. a generation. I think it's one of those where it just keeps going. Exactly. It's like continual education almost, Exactly, right? exactly. And I think that's probably... Even from a cultural perspective, I think that's sort of a way we have to embrace this is that uh, some of the companies I think that I've met with um, that have the resources to do this whole Industry 4.0 thing struggle with the cultural aspect of it. So That's so, interesting. I never really thought about that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so part, of what my, uh, part of what my job is is to really start all the way at that kind of cultural discussion and then walk through the sort of the technology discussion. Of course, you know, working for a big global manufacturer is – Hopefully to sell something at the end of it, right? Because Excuse the point, I would yeah, think. Absolutely. We have a light bill we have to pay, just like everybody else. So uh, I, I don't to, pay mine. Well, and I, I have to. <clears throat> I have my to keep, wife handles all the bills. I was just going to say, that's it. What I, thought. I yeah. have to keep my wife in the style <laughs> to which she is accustomed. <laughs> so we do have to sell something. Um, yeah, so that's really what my job is. Yeah. And uh, how long have you been with, with Siemens for? With thirty for thirty years. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I so, like hearing that because I mean, obviously, you've been doing all different types of things over the past thirty years. Yeah, and it's yeah. A place that keeps challenging you. Exactly. And you get to have a lot of fun, I assume, at the same time. Yeah, and I worked for Westinghouse before that, which you know, if you think about it, they were one of the big innovators in Western Pennsylvania. Without so. I mean, just about every cool thing for a long time came out of Westinghouse Laboratory. I, I think people don't always realize the impact Westinghouse you know, had and has on this region. It, did, it didn't st- stop with the air brake. I know that. that. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, when I came to work for Siemens, it's you know we were kind of in that traditional industrial you know big giant company. And it's amazing in the last decade in particular how we've transitioned to be a software company. 
That's so, so cool. Still, I never thought about that exactly. Like, yeah, wow. So we still make gadgets. We still make things that, you know, electricity flows through and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, we've kind of transitioned into this uh, information data type company. So over the last, I don't know, let's say six to eight years, we've spent almost $10 billion acquiring predominantly software companies. And, uh, and you know, some of the software companies are startups. We just recently acquired a company that just does low-code stuff. Uh, so... You know, I look at, uh, I'm going to say kids because, you know, I... You can say kids. I can I say kids, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I sound like the old guy sitting at the end of the mall, though, with the uh, with the easy spirit shoes, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. solving the world's problems when easy I say that. Easy spirit shoes. And yes. keeping every Frisbee that lands in your <laughs> Exactly, <yard>. exactly. <laughs> so I'm becoming that guy, despite my best efforts not to. So uh, so as I become that guy, so I, I see kids today, this, these digital natives, they have a certain expectation. They do. You know, they want information at their fingertips. I still remember, I'm sitting here in the in this beautiful area and we were talking earlier about this used to be a mall right i remember getting up on saturday morning driving clear over to carnegie library in oakland and thinking this is the coolest thing that i can get up my car drive an hour over here dig through these piles of books and go home and within about four hours just have this wealth of information at my fingertips definitely what kid (laughs) today does that is gonna wait right Mm -hmm. you know Four hours for information, right? If I don't have it within eight seconds See, on my and, phone. And, and we're part of a very unique generation from the standpoint that we remember both worlds. Exactly. And I've, I've given some presentations to some college kids in the past that had no idea of life pre-Google. And yeah, trying yeah. to explain them as a news reporter, I had to go to the prothonotary's office to get real estate records. Yeah, and yeah. just didn't type it in and get addresses yeah. for people. Exactly. You actually had to go downtown. And some of that, and so some of that comes back to this cultural discussion. Yeah. Is that we accept this in our consumer lives, right? Okay. We accept this available information in our consumer lives. We don't want to wait for information. Industry, though, I could take you to probably a, a mill not more than five miles from here that's okay. still running on DOS. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's, like, that's amazing. It's unbelievable. It, it's unbelievable. So the industry, and again, because we're, we're, we're good at what we do, we make money at what we do, we're successful at what we do. So the idea of embracing that change is still a little bit of a struggle. And so I kind of help with that discussion. I talk through, talk through some of the tools that are available to small companies, to medium-sized companies, okay. that help them make that transition. But again, at the end of the day, it's are you willing to embrace that, whether you're so a big company or a small company? You're so almost you, a therapist to a certain degree. Boy, I like folks, that. Right? I yeah. like that. What if that fit on my card? You too? can add that to your title. I can you add want. that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I don't think it'll fit, but I should give it a shot. <laughs> it's, it's the second line. So, you just drop it down. Yeah, right? digital, you know, it's funny you should bring this up because, you know, at the conference, you, you had a very powerful statement about uh, the Fortune 500 companies, that how half of them have disappeared from that list because of their lack of, of interest or their failure to embrace digital technologies. That's right, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that was a comment uh, that was made by the CEO of Accenture, and that's been repeated a number of times. And, and it's sort of funny, again, I'm an engineer, so don't make fun of me for that, but uh, engineering nerd, I still remember getting this thing called the Battery of the Month Club, which was a very exclusive club at Radio Shack. Battery right? of the Month Battery Club. Of Battery of the Month. Yeah, this, I, it does, by the way, they do not have reciprocal rights at Duquesne uh, Club. Just, okay. so you, just so you're fully aware I was kind of I was a was, full-fledged yeah. member of the Columbia Record and Tape Club. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by 12. <laughs> or, or, For like a dollar. Yeah, right. exactly. So, so, you know, I'd go get my Battery of the Month at Radio Shack, right? And uh, us nerds knew you get the 9-volt because that was the most expensive. And if you think to yourself, you know, some of these businesses that have let's say, gone away or almost ceased to exist. You think about Radio Shack, which I think is one of the classic examples, right? They had this big, thick catalog. And you think about all the cool stuff they sold. They sold clock radios and they sold calculators and scientific calculators and weather stations and phones and all these things. Well, guess what? And and though they can't see me, I'm holding this up to the microphone right now, but it's my smartphone. Everything I just said, 
is now in my smartphone, and I could continue. Everything I just mentioned uh, has moved into the smartphone. So, so companies like the Radio Shacks, who at the time, and one of the cool things that they can say is uh, something like 90-plus percent of the American population lived within a few miles of Radio Shack. So they'd invested heavily in the brick and mortar. They put stores very close to the population, and that strength – the brick-and-mortar strength being close to the population all of a sudden became a weakness. It was very difficult for them to transition to make the change. You find that in a lot of these companies. That's an example in a retailer. Um, but a lot of these companies struggled with the same kind of thing. They were invested in something that was based on an old model. And, uh, you know, if I, I tell the story, too. If you look at my own personal employment history, my first job was I delivered newspapers. Newspapers are almost a thing of the past, right? I just get it off my iPad or my iPhone. My my second job, very proud of, I worked in Kmart at the photo department, right? Well, photos, you know, Kodak, big Fortune 500 company, yep. pretty much invented the digital camera, I might add, by the way, uh, pretty much ceases to exist. They're now existing by selling off a lot of the intellectual property. It's amazing, so isn't it's it? Amazing. It's, like, it's amazing. It's amazing. How so fast my, it's happened as my well, My second too. exciting <clears throat> job, yeah. I took two com- companies down with That's me. That's great. Exactly. You got I a took good Kodak track down and Kmart Did down I say, with me. Does Siemens know about this <laughs> past? Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> so then my third job, my third job, I was a gas station jockey. I was great at it, man. I'd, people would pull in. I'd pump gas, all that stuff. Well, you know, and I'd check your oil and I'd check your tire pressure and all that. I was good at it. Chicks dig it. Let me just tell you, like a guy, like a guy's handy with a car. Exactly, exactly. And I did the windshield, the whole thing. No streaks, no streaks. That's right. So who pumps your gas now? You do it yourself. But not only that, now there's mobile gas delivery. That's that's right. That's right. Crazy. Not only that, I don't need to check your tire pressure because there's monitors that check my tire pressure for me. And that's sort of the story of of IoT. If I have an electric car, don't even check my oil. Don't even check my oil. Exactly. (laughs) And that's sort of the story of IoT. Right? Is that I don't need uh, – there's now a sensor that checks everything in a factory. I don't need uh, all these all these different functions, and right. it's telling me these things in real time. So, you know, that's that's sort of the story of uh, how I got into it, and that's also the story of kind of and, like – And now you're technology. seeing that, that pace of change even quicker and quicker. It's amazing. You know, we, we, it took 15 years for Radio Shack to kind of become obsolete. Yeah. But now it's going to be five years and two and a half years. I, I feel like everything keeps condensing as, as we move forward. So that, that becomes a real challenge for a small manufacturer. So if you're still running DOS yeah, yeah. in your factory, you've really got to start thinking about the future. <laughs> and you'd mentioned on supply chain, yeah. right? So. So the whole idea of a genealogy of a product, it keeps getting pushed further and further down in the, into the food chain. So, so if I'm a guy that's supplying a part, that's supplying a part, supplying a part to a tier one manufacturer, well, it used to be kind of that tier one manufacturer had a relationship with automotive, and that's kind of where it stopped, right? Well, now what you have is these aerospace companies that, you know, aerospace company wants to know who made my fastener and who... What person on what shift on what machine made the faster? Exactly. What they bar stock? Track it all the way back, all the way through. And what they'll do, and they say, "Well, that's just data for data's sake." No, because I know that if I had this particular part made on this particular machine on this shift from this bar stock, my you know my output is improved. I have a much higher chance of meeting tolerance. I have a much higher chance of of you know having an optimal out- output for a product. And so. Having all that data down downstream. So then, if I'm some small guy that supplies a part for a part, the part. Where's that data come from? You know, where does it and, – and, and not only that, how do I create meaning in that data? I mean, just mm-hmm. collecting well, – creating the meaning is the huge that step That is a right challenge. There, That's a challenge, yeah. So when you stuff. look at small manufacturers that have access to data, right? I mean, they maybe purchased a new CNC machine yeah. and it's dumping data nowhere. Uh, yeah, not absolutely. turning that into actionable intelligence. 
How do you get a manufacturer to understand the benefits to, to leveraging that to make smart business decisions? Yeah, so and, and so that's a very good point because I did. I talked to a machine tool company that mostly has, you know, post-war lathes and presses, and so they got in a new, uh, um, uh, I think it was a six-axis six uh, uh, machining center and uh, literally could provide 4,000 data points to the millisecond. Oh, my goodness. So they went from having no data. (laughs) To too much data. (laughs) Yeah, to being just overwhelmed with data, right? right? And so so being able to capture meaningful data out of that is one of the challenges. And that's what I think, too. You know, we have partners like yourself that can kind of sit down with these customers and sift through what's important. And, again, I think probably two key things come out of this. Number one is understand your processes. So understand what takes place on your roof. And, and that may seem simple, but a lot of customers no, couldn't, a, couldn't draw it out on a piece of paper exactly. first because Jim on second shift has a workaround that Joe on third shift doesn't, <laughs> doesn't know about. Do, right? Yeah, so so in fact, one guy told me that I've worked on this machine tool for forty years. I know this machine tool better than I know my wife. So you know, I can make this machine tool do anything I want it to do. So so number one is fully understand that process, and then number two, two is again back to that cultural piece. You know. So we sit down and work groups. So one of the things I say is that this collaborative piece, I know that's probably the most overused word of this generation is collaboration, but this collaborative piece to really understand how the whole process works, how all the human element works within that is probably one of the biggest challenges. So if you could capture the process, you can start to understand what the culture is behind it. You can start to hone in on what data matters and what data doesn't matter. Because, uh, you know, one of the things I think we're going to find out is not every big company has a data scientist. So how are we going to expect the uh, – Small know, guy. Have, yeah, we have five right? employees and one of them's a data scientist, right? It's not going to happen. So that's where we're going we're to start seeing more companies coming up. They're going to really start solving some of that data analysis to make it easy to where they can capture the key things and then make it on – put onto like a dashboard. To exactly. And then be making it an actionable step so it's not as overwhelming when you're collecting 4,000 pieces of data every millisecond. And, and that's, <laughs> that's the thing too. I think you have, this, you have this kind of an odd Venn diagram. You have all these people, I'll say the IT goober type people, yeah. right? I probably just insulted a whole bunch of people right there. But Those are high compliments, right. man. Yeah, exactly. exactly. They live by that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have this whole IT segment. They get the bits and bytes, right? And then you have what we call the domain experts. I know steel making better than I know pulp and paper. Or I know tire making better than anybody. Draw the Venn diagram. There's not much gray shaded area between the two, right? And when that gray shaded area gets bigger and bigger and bigger, that's where you get the opportunities of what you exactly. just described. Right. And so, you know, Siemens is very proud of something called MindSphere. And forget the name of the title and all that stuff, but it's really what we think of as an app store. Um, I always tell the story that um, – uh, was with my daughter, you know, she had a dishwasher, wanted me to put in a new dishwasher, being a great dad, I went over, put it in, had all the right wrenches, all that stuff, hooked it all up, and I looked at it, and the uh, thing was in there, and I'll use a Pittsburgh term, it was all jabber-walked in there, or whatever, you know? So, <laughs> I thought it was jerry-rigged. Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> it was all, let's just say it was all crooked. How's that? It was wonky in there. It was wonky, there we go. So, so it was crooked, and the, and the one thing I didn't take was a level, right? So but you had I, your Hickman jigger instead. Uh, I, that's, it. that's right. So my, my daughter quickly says, from this digital generation, just get one off your phone. I was like, what? What? What, what are you talking about? And lo and behold, there's, a, there's an app on my phone for, I downloaded it for a level. And by God, who made it? Stanley. Same Absolutely guy that makes the real level. Because they get it. They get the fact that there's a there's a digital opportunity kind of mixed in there. Do you ever use the measuring device on your phone? I have. I know. It's crazy. It's like, oh, my God, it works. Yeah, <laughs> so, so what we want to help do is create a platform so that they have the people that have that domain yeah. expertise – can create apps, right? So when they start to capture data, I don't have to figure all this out. I just suck all the data in the app. Right. Some smart guy that knows about the domain 
and that can understand how to create an app out of that can then do something meaningful with it. That is fascinating. So you, you hit on something earlier about knowledge transfer. You have all these people that can know how to run a machine. But they have their workarounds. And, and capturing that is an important aspect of, of preparing your business for this inevitable retirement Surge oh, absolutely, or the, the yeah. silver tsunami, which I hope to be in soon. Yeah, exactly. and, and you, another point that you brought up at the digital bridge, digital bridge conference was the idea that, or the, the uh, challenge that um, Siemens addressed around training its people, and an initiative that you have to get an individual uh, trained to do assembly within twenty minutes by yeah. leveraging uh, digital technologies or leveraging uh, AR VR to do that. Yeah, so, so and, and that's one of the challenges we have, too. So we have a lot of re-onshoring going on for various reasons, right? There's this uh, movement toward, you know, nationalism, moving things, manufacturing and back in our, in our own shores. So there's a big challenge there. So you have that piece. You have the piece of an aging generation of which I'm proud to be part of. So uh, people that are moving out of the workforce, you know, these statistics on how many, you know, millions of baby boomers are moving out of the workforce uh, monthly and all that stuff. So we're, we're going to have a... a a struggle there. And then you have a new incoming workforce that are largely unskilled or maybe semi-skilled, right? And so uh, the idea is how do you make those people as productive as you can quickly? And the old models, frankly, don't work for a number of reasons. So so what we've done is we worked with a major company that does hand tools, power tools, um, and collaborated in an environment where we had a lot of different folks that worked together. And so we could take a person off the street uh, and put them at a workbench, and have them productive literally within 20 minutes. And the way that was done is really through a combination of augmented reality, virtual reality tool sets. So I could walk up literally up on either Google Glasses, which was initially initially the way uh, it was done. Now it's done with a lot of different projection means. It projects work instructions down. So it tells me, reach into this bend, grab that part. As it's doing it, I have MES code operating in the background that's saying, okay, wow. he's executed this instruction. I can subtract this piece of inventory. I can go through and, I, and it works all that in the background, right? So That's it's, amazing. It's doing all that stuff, right? So, so he's putting this piece together. I tell you, one of the cool things was uh, to figure out which hand went into the which bucket at which time. Um, you know, the way that was done was with the cool Xbox Connect. If there's any gamer people mm-hmm. on there, Very right? Cool. So, so we partnered. Uh, just has this uh, Xbox Connect thing hanging up in the sky. And uh, it reaches and says, okay, grab the right part, yeah, and then puts it together, provides work instructions, hands it to the next person. And as the person gets more and more proficient, it can take away some of those work instructions, right? So I don't need to keep slowing this guy down to tell him he needs to take this screw and put it in this piece. So it's, it's learning it's as learning the person's it, yeah. learning. It's learning as a person's <clears throat> learning. It's using the work instructions that it's developing. It's also capturing quality information and so forth. And so if you think about it, how would that have happened previously, right? You'd have somebody else standing at the workstation. You're paying someone to show them how to do it. Show them how and... to do it. Now, what happens all of a sudden, this goes all the way down the production line, and they say, you know what, we have a new model coming out. And maybe that screw, we changed it from a Phillips to an Allen screw, Right. And this now can happen on the fly because it's just data, right? They weren't printed drawings that have to get reprinted. It's just data. So somebody at the end says, you know, the engineer made a, a change. I can now instantaneously change those work instructions on the fly. And, again, we're right back up and running. I don't have to have the trainer come back over and say, well, we're not using the, the Phillips screw. We're using an Allen wrench now. We're using an Allen screw. We're going to change all that stuff. We can do that on the fly. So it's a kind of this very closed-loop concept. I can design it in one piece of software. I can take it in that same data stream and start to create work instructions. I can start to create vendor requirements, all that stuff, and all the quality requirements that go with it. This so. just blows my mind because always, I've always said this on this, on, this, on this podcast that 
the intersection of technology and manufacturing is just so awesome. Yeah. And to oh, see yeah. how they elevate each other. Absolutely. At the end of the day. And that's why I keep I, – I, I love telling these stories because then people need to know that this is the state of manufacturing these days. Like it's an awesome field to be going into. Oh, absolutely. Because it's challenging and it's rewarding and it's, it's making things more efficient and better. I, I just find it amazing. And to hear you talk about this – it's just really cool stuff. Well, and, and the notion, too, that, you know, like, it, it, and uh, I'm sure these guys have heard me say this, but, you know, it was the old uh, uh, Henry Ford comment that you can have any color car you want as long as it's black. That was his comment, right? So, so his idea, we just keep making the same thing over and over again, right? And, and almost dehumanizing the nature of work. My job is I put two screws in a fender. That's all I do. And it almost dehumanized. The whole concept of that was when, you know, when this guy... If, dies of a heart attack, I yank him out and just put somebody else they can put two screws in. Well, as consumers, that's not what we want anymore. Nope. So we worked with Maserati, for example. They had 70,000 variations of one car so that if I walk in, I don't want my Maserati to look like your Maserati. I want the tan seats with the powder blue exterior. So we're not doing any color cars you want as long as it's black, right? So that means that this whole manufacturing field has gotten very exciting. It's gotten extremely exciting. If I was, you know, graduating from college today, what we call manufacturing seems Seems like yeah. a boring word. Yeah, it's almost like they need a new term for it. Exactly. It's like actually it's a, a very exciting thing. Yeah. And that's so, it's, it's, talking to you about this today, I think it's just been amazing. So what, what, what what's in the future? I mean, I can you even predict what's five, ten years down the road? Well, you know, it's funny. Like, so quickly. We always say if we if we can predict five years out, then we're probably just wrong. Okay. You know, and that's kind <laughs> right. of the way to think about it. I like that. It. I, that's a cool way of putting it. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so Remind me not to take you to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, don't take me to Vegas for a multitude of reasons. That's the smallest of it. So, um, so yeah, and it, it is hard to predict, but I tell you, the most amazing thing if you think about manufacturing is just their ability to catch up with consumer, right? I mean, yeah. if you want to know kind of what manufacturing, because that's where our expectations get created. And I saw somebody the other day talk about it used to be you went to work because they had all the cool stuff. When I went to work for Westinghouse. I can make long distance calls. Don't tell anybody. I can make long distance calls anywhere I wanted because at home, I had to wait till after six o'clock or nine o'clock, right? But we had a phone system. I could call anybody any time of the day. So I called all my buddies long distance. I had a computer at work. I didn't have a computer at home. Right. You know, I didn't have any of that stuff. All the tools I had at work were better than the tools I had at home. Guess what? Today, all the tools I have at home are probably better than the tools I have at work. So now you have kind of the, you know, the cart pushing the horse or however that gets said because now we have these expectations in our consumer world that if I am a young person coming out of co- – boy, that's even worse than a uh, kid. Yeah. You say young, young person, person, wow. I'm not offended by that because well, you're not talking to me. You, yeah, might, true. you might want to adjust the Velcro straps on your free shoes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, – he was coming to the mall here, he was walking it. <laughs> exactly, exactly, that's right. It took three laps and I better get up. I well, better get up there because there's probably a Frisbee in my yard. So. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, it was just a softball. Yeah, that's it. But I'm still keeping it. <laughs> that's right. So it's like if you think about it, the way the consumer – industry pushes industry, uh, the way the consumer business pushes industry, it is fascinating because I've even heard, you know, as I say, people come out and they say, well, why don't we have data on that? Why don't we have information that we can capture and analyze? Because it's just not there. And if you think about in, you know, I'm always amazed when I go to Facebook, which if that doesn't show that I'm old, nothing does, by the way, you know, because I think Facebook now is if you're not like 93, you're not using Facebook. But when I go to Facebook and it somehow mysteriously knows that I was just shopping for something the night before. Like all those data streams are connected, right? In industry, largely there's a lot of data streams, but they remain fairly unconnected. Yeah. You know, like it, it, right. I tell you one of the things that you learn working on a shop floor is you never want to have IT people involved in your life. You know, if you're on the shop floor, all IT people do is say no. I want to connect. No. No. <laughs> Can I get through the firewall? No. 
So and, and in order for this to work, we have to have IT and OT connected. We have to have the information technology piece. If I give the example of the Maserati, if I have to have 50 human itera- iterations between my one of 70,000 cars and the shop floor being able to build it, I have to have 50 human interactions in between. It doesn't work, right? I have to have seamless a seamless data stream that goes all the way from the consumer entry point to the shop floor exactly. to manufacturing, or it doesn't work. So that IT and OT have to be linked, and they never were before. And that consumer input's important. I mean, I, I know that some manufacturers can actually limit the variations in their in their product by taking a look at what uh, customers are looking for online. If they're going into one of those build-your-own-car, and they can determine really – Based on what you've been clicking, they're clicking. only going to show you so many types of options. Exactly. Yeah. So they can then determine these are the options that people are willing to pay for. And that's where design for manufacturability comes in. Right. Yeah. That you can wow. leverage that data as well. I feel kind of overwhelmed right now because yeah. <laughs> there's so that's, much going on. It we, is early. I mean, I mean, we need to have you stop back sometime soon, Mike, because there's so much to talk about here. I just feel like we're only scratching the surface at times. And you've been such an awesome guest. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I'll do my, I do my mall walking so, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, okay, great. I need my free senior coffee, though. It is. Friday, right, so. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be at the shoe store on uh, the other days, <laughs> that's right? right? That's right. And any of you manufacturers out there still on DOS? Wake yes. up. Wake up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I was going to say, yeah, punch cards are a thing of the way, 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 way fast. But uh, I don't know, anything else we haven't covered, Matt? You think no, I think that's good. We're kind of running short on time here. But look, Mike, we appreciate yeah. you coming in and sharing Thank some you. of this information. We will have you back. This you you great. get the official invite back card. Cool. Yeah. Dude, nice. you're a good performance on this nice. podcast. Nice. We, want to, we want to have you back because this is fascinating stuff. Like, you get me fired up about what's, what's happening in manufacturing and IT and everything in between these days. So, cool. Great stuff, Matt. Keep Keep bringing guys like Mike in. I'll do my best. Yeah. <laughs> it's working out. I really, love this, I really love this conversation. You are listening to Catalyst Connections Digital Bridge, Pittsburgh's Industry 4.0 podcast. Learn more about Catalyst Connection by going to catalystconnection.org. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.